Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Brandon Liu. Brandon is the founder creator behind something called ProtoMaps, and he's here to tell us about how we can make a planet scale tiled map from a single file without a server. So if you are a fan of cloud-optimized GeoTIFF, if you are interested in cloud-optimized geospatial formats, this is the podcast episode for you. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. We, we've talked a couple of times. I think we, we, we even met each other face-to-face -face at Phosphagy last year. So real pleasure to have you here. You are the, the founder slash creator of something called ProtoMaps. And today on the podcast, I want to talk about a serverless system that, that you're developing. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But before we get there, ProtoMaps is, is focused on, on web mapping. Maybe you could just introduce yourself to the listeners, please, and perhaps Tell us how you got involved with, in, in web mapping, how you got involved in this in, in geospatial. Sure. So I'm Brandon. I've been doing web mapping for about 10 years now. So around since the time I graduated, uh, so from college. And I have sort of like a backwards path into this world, as most people. I studied computer science in college. And the first thing I ever did that was geo-related was make a biking map of the city I was living in. So I knew nothing about GIS. I did not know what a shapefile or like Mercator was. I just like wanted to solve my own problem. And I'm like, there has to be a data set out there. So it was through that I learned about OSM. From OSM, I learned about web mapping. And from web mapping, I learned about GIS. That's really interesting. But you started with a problem. I want to make a bike map. That was it. Exactly. But what was the biggest barrier to entry that you had at the start? Like, was it learning the vocabulary? Was it understanding the technology, but what was it? I think for me, at the beginning, I've always been focused on sort of the simplicity and also like the modularity and like usability of the tools. So like I said, I'm a little bit of the opposite in that I think a lot of the folks that are into web mapping as a field, they come through maybe a geography degree and then they learn programming. But for me, I very much started knowing a good amount of programming. And then I like, wanted to apply my knowledge from sort of software engineering, you know, about things like data structures and algorithms to GIS problems. So it's a little bit of the reverse path as a lot of people in the industry. But back to that question, what was there any sort of barriers to entry? Was there any sort of problems that you ran into? Like I'm guessing, for example, with your background in computer science, you understood it from a development standpoint, but was there anything like, what the hell is a buffer? Why do we need to tile the world up like, like this? What's a projection system? Or did that just make sense to you? To be honest, I've always lived in sort of the web mapping world. And a lot of the advanced GIS concepts, such as working with different state planes, uh, working with advanced projections, a lot of those things are still quite alien to me. I'm sort of in this comfortable, cozy web of everything is just a web mercator, and that's good enough. And I understand that in some ways, my worldview is limited by that. But I think the sort of funny part about web maps is it's sort of good enough. We're all sort of already very accustomed to this idea of like the world is a perfect square and we can like have zoom levels that are just multiples of two. So I think, yes, like a lot of the arcane GIS knowledge, um, the really advanced things in the field um, I've struggled with. And those are things that um, I'm always learning more about. So to answer your question about things that I found difficult or barriers to entering the field, I think the data side and the availability of data 
the kind of gap between things like open data from maybe government portals and commercial data has always, to me, been probably the biggest challenge. To elaborate on that a little bit, I think one of the really hard things about maps is like every single person uses like Google or Apple Maps and they see the data is so great, but there's no real way to like reproduce that yourself. There's just this like huge gulf between the data that we are accustomed to in our daily lives and what we can accomplish as like an individual developer or like a web mapping company. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting and valuable insight there. So I appreciate that. At the start, I introduced you as the creator founder of, of something called ProtoMaps that maybe just developer behind ProtoMaps. And when I go to ProtoMaps, the website, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. The first thing I see at the current version of the website is this piece of text. And I just want to read this so that the listeners understand what, what I'm talking about. It says, ProtoMaps is a serverless system for planet scale maps. And instead of asking you to describe or to explain what you mean by that, I want to know what the opposite of this is. So, so what is the opposite of what you're trying to build? What is the opposite of a serverless system for planet scale maps? So the timeline right now is almost completely focused on software developers not like as an audience. And I think in the current iteration of the site, that's sort of the hook. So ProtoMaps as a project um, is kind of hard to sum up because it's more of an umbrella project. There's sort of some data offerings as well as some open source components that you can just use on GitHub. But to answer your question, the opposite of kind of a serverless system is sort of the status quo of how we sort of deploy geospatial software. So when we talk about like a server, we often mean something like a geo server or a piece of software that we sort of rent out like a Linux machine. It can serve a web page, it can serve a GeoJSON over it. And the motivation for doing things this way is to make things really simple for developers. I think when I'm talking about like the barriers to entry and the accessibility of doing web mapping, in my experience, a lot of those barriers are just the complexity of running servers and of um, having to maintain all this software oftentimes over years. Also, when the organizations that need to you know, serve geodata are not always software companies. There are things like local government agencies, nonprofits, hobby projects built on OpenStreetMap, for example. It is a little bit buzzwordy, and I might workshop this a little bit, but ProtoMaps is definitely focused on developers and web mapping. Okay, so let, let me push back on this a little bit because you know, serverless system, I could see the advantages of not having to maintain those systems. I totally get that. And we see this with, with things like cloud-optimized geotiffs and other cloud-native geospatial formats. I mean, this is the magic of those formats is that we don't have to maintain a server. But if I want to make a web map today, I mean, there's a little company called Google. We've got Apple. Bing, I'm sure, has, a, has an API, a JavaScript library that I can use to, to make web maps. There's OpenStreetMaps. There's a lot of different maps, and they take away that, that barrier to entry for me because, you know, with three lines of JavaScript, I've got a map. Right. I think that is a totally valid point, which is the status quo of doing web mapping is kind of like you don't need to maintain anything because you call like an external API. So Google Maps is, you know, the, the most popular one. You can just embed Google Maps on your website. And I think for ProtoMaps, a lot of the motivation here, again, 
is being able to expose the guts of that. Since Google Maps as an API is completely opaque to the developer, it is a black box. It is, you drop in a couple lines of JavaScript, but you have uh, some control over how things are displayed. Uh, you definitely can't like scrape the data and cache it. You know, that's like against their terms of service. It's always been kind of scarce. I like to use the word scarcity when I talk about like web maps right now, because it's usually the case that when you want to use Google Maps, they charge you like for every 1,000 people that visit your page, it costs like $7. And not all projects or companies have that kind of budget, especially if it's pretty high traffic. So the focus is sort of on like a DIY system as opposed to a system like Google. You talked about this idea of scarcity just before when we were talking about Google Maps. <laughs> Poor Google Maps. Honestly, I think they provide a great service. I think they, they fill a very important niche in the market. I think when Google Maps showed up with their dynamic maps, you know, slippy maps, I think they changed the world for, for the better. But when I think about Google Maps, I think about the lack of flexibility. You know, just as an example, I think that you know, it's not very brandable either. I can't change it. It's a one-size-fits-all solution. So those are the things that I think about when I, when I think about Google Maps, as well as the, the ease of implementation. But of course, this is, a, this is not a serverless system. There, there is a server working in the background. Maybe this is why I have to pay that $7 for every 1,000 visits to my website. So how are you changing this? What are you making? How is ProtoMaps going to be different from that? Right. So ProtoMaps is a way to create and also deploy maps on the web. One of the first parts that is, as of right now, totally production ready is a file format called PM tiles, uh, which kind of stands for like the ProtoMaps tile format. And what that is, is it enables to actually serve a planet scale map, like a slippy or a tiled map in the same way that Google popularized, you know, like 20 years ago. It enables developers or companies to essentially host a tiled map with none of that complexity of servers. So you can just slap it on an S3 storage bucket or any compatible system and you can access it and be able to zoom in, pan around, zoom out, all with a single file on S3. So early on in the conversation, I mentioned cloud-optimized GeoTIFFs. Can we draw any sort of comparisons between PM tiles, that this file that you've created that works in a serverless environment, and cloud-optimized GeoTIFFs? It is exactly the same thing. I think serverless, that word that I used earlier, um, which is like a little bit buzzwordy, it's almost synonymous with cloud-optimized. So. My pitch is if you're a fan of cloud optimized GeoTIFF, then you should also be a fan of PM tiles because PM tiles is sort of um, a generalization of the same concepts to any kind of data, especially vector tiles. So the goal is you have a single archive of PM tiles um, and you can access individual tiles in this archive through HTTP range requests. So when you say HTTP range requests, are you in fact talking about accessing tiles in the same way we access other tiles, you know, where we have the, the X, Y, and the, and the Z at the end of the, the URL, which says, I would like this tile here, and then a file format at the end of that. Is that what we're talking about? It's a little bit different. I think the X, Y, and Z uh, sort of tiling scheme works really well. Like you could just have like a folder on your S3 bucket that just holds a Z folder, a Y folder, and you know, like the X tiles. But one of the ideas behind this being planet scale is that 
doesn't scale up well to uh, millions of tiles. So one of the goals here is to make the system work well for like the entire planet of data. A typical base map can have about 15 zoom levels. And at 15 zoom levels, you are in the hundreds of millions of individual tiles. So if you have like what you're talking about, the traditional ZXY addressing uh, with you know folders and directories of tiles, it is almost impossible or just really, really slow to upload like 200 million files. You know, you're, you're just going to wait all day waiting for these files to upload. While for PM tiles, it's a single file that contains all of the data. That I can also access dynamically through these HTTP range requests. Right. And by the way, the technology for range requests was never actually built for maps. It was built for video. So if you um, host, like, let's say an MP4 video file on S3 and you try to include it in a web page, it will use range requests. And that's because instead of having to download the entire movie at once, you can access the frames in the video through these range requests. So if you think about a movie as um, sort of an image, but moving over time, then PM tiles is that same idea, but moving in space instead of time. So instead of the end of the movie is like the last frame. Well, the end of the PM tiles is like the most southeast corner of the world, while the beginning is like the most northwest corner of the world. How is this different from something like MB tiles? MB tiles is a very analogous project. And I intentionally named PM tiles to sound very similar to, uh, to MB tiles. Like I've discovered that kind of helps communicate what the file format does. So MB tiles is the same concept, but it's built on top of a database called SQLite. And SQLite is like the most deployed database in the world. It's a very lightweight single file uh, container that you can access through the SQL language. Like you're able to write queries, but that is an approach that requires a server. So how people usually use MB tiles is they rent like a Linux server and they run um, a program that accesses MB tiles and translates that into like an HTTP request. And PM tiles is just an adaptation of the same overall concept, but to remove that server full part. And so we were talking about building base maps before using PM tiles. And I just need some clarification here. Are we talking about raster data, putting raster data in PM tiles, or are we talking about vector data in PM tiles? My focus for now um, on ProtoMaps as a project is on vector tiles. I think for a lot of raster data use cases, cloud-optimized GeoTIFF might be a better choice. One of the really good things about COG is that it is backwards compatible. So existing software that can read GeoTIFFs can also read cloud-optimized GeoTIFFs. And I um, have discovered most of the users of PM tiles are interested in vector data. But vector data is not just base maps. It's also uh, sort of data overlays or any sort of domain-specific data sets that you want to show in a web map. So this sounds incredibly flexible. You mentioned before that um, some of these data sets can be, can be quite large, you know, especially when we start building tiles. Are, are there any sort of size restrictions here? There's not practical size restrictions. I mean, it's limited. You know, there's some like multiple terabyte limit that usually won't be met by existing data sets. I usually work with PM tiles data sets in the hundreds of gigabytes, and those work just fine on most, on like most popular storage platforms. And, and this might be a rather naive question, 
But g- given that it's a file, a flat file, and that there's no server there, are there, are there any restrictions in terms of accessing this, like a certain number of users that can access it at, at, at any one time? There is potential performance issues uh, related to hosting it on like a storage system like on S3. And some of the solutions to that are things like putting a CDN in front of it. I just want to interrupt you there for a second. Could you explain to the listeners, please, what a CDN is and how it works? So a CDN is a content delivery network. How you can think about a CDN is it is a um, global network of essentially servers that, let's say, Amazon or Cloudflare runs. And the purpose of that is that if there is a user visiting your web map, when they access your web map, the data comes from the closest geographical node, is what they call it, to that user. So if you can think about sort of the speed of internet transmission, if I have a user in Denmark, but they have to access the data that's in California, it might take 400 milliseconds for the tile to get from California to, to Denmark. So the purpose of a CDN usually when we use it in web apps is to make the experience faster. Maybe the CDN has a node that is in Denmark or even somewhere in Northern Europe. And instead of taking 400 milliseconds to access it, it takes 50 milliseconds. Would it be fair to think of this as a load balancing technology? It is also a load balancer, yeah. But the end goal is to produce a fast end user experience. So ideally, if your web map suddenly gets super popular, you know, it is on the front page of you know, all the geo blogs, then there's this huge spike in traffic, but you should not have to go rent more servers just for that one occasion. So it should indeed sort of like scale to handling public traffic. Okay, so if, if I try and summarize this uh, just for a second, proto maps, we've got this idea that we, we can serve planet scale maps without a server, essentially. That this is the, the kind of concept we're working on here. And to that end, you've created something called MP tiles, which is kind of like a cloud-optimized GeoTIFF in that it responds to these range requests. So we don't need a server in front of it. We, we don't need to maintain that extra piece of technology in, in front of the data we're trying to serve. We can just create this PM tiles file that can be really, really big. And it's a single file we can put on something like a, in, in an S3 bucket and then just call it from there. So this all sounds amazing, right? And then you talked about how we could potentially use a, a CDN, put that in front of it, would help load balance the traffic and it would, would make things faster if our web map got incredibly popular. What are we going to do with this? Like, you know, what, what does this enable? What does this technology enable that you're building? So the big idea here is traditionally being able to create and also deploy a global base map has been the capability of very, very few companies in the world. That is like Google, Apple, Microsoft, and Facebook recently have gotten into building their own base maps. So it's essentially like only if you are a multi-billion dollar public company do you start to work on, you know, like building a base map. So it's like this product that is accessible to such a small group of organizations. So the goal of ProtoMaps is to make this available to anyone. That doesn't matter if you are a hobbyist one-person company or even just like a small company that maybe wants a more flexible solution than something like Google Maps. But PM Tiles as a technological solution is one piece of being able to accomplish that. Yeah, I, I understand that the, the vision isn't complete right now, but if we focus on PM Tiles just for the time being, 
it seems to me it does enable that you know, someone like me who doesn't want to go and rent space on an expensive server and figure out how to use this technology, like how to use a server environment to enable people to interact with, with my base map, I don't need to do that. I create one tile, I put it somewhere in an S3 bucket somewhere, and then I just call it from there. So I can see how this enables someone like me who has limited resources to do this, to, to make a base map, for example. I guess this means that I can go out and I can start making my own base maps, that I could you know, make brandable base maps. I, could, I don't have to put up with this one-size-fits-all solution like what we talked about with Google before. I could make a specialized map for mountain bikers, for, for hunters, for people that w- want to, I don't know, play frisbee golf, something like that. So the next part of the equation is, well, how, how do we do this? How do we create a PM tiles file? So the creation of base maps from sort of open data is right now something I'm, I'm only getting started on. Um, it's not yet realized the point that PM tiles is, but it's definitely what I'm planning to work on the most this year. Yeah, but like you said, I think the core goal here is to enable flexibility in cartography. You gave the example of like playing frisbee golf or finding golf courses on a web map. You can think about if you are a um, like a golfing app, maybe you want control over the generalization of features on the map to be able to uh, see golf courses when you are zoomed all the way out. So traditionally, you've always had to be limited by the data that is available from, let's say, a map API like Google. But the long-term goal for ProtoMaps is to enable you to use your imagination, uh, use any data that's available to you, whether that it's from OpenStreetMap, whether that is open data from a government portal, whether that's your own data, and build global-scale tiled maps from that. Okay, how, how would I do that? Are there some tools available to help me? Do I need to be a developer to do it? How how would I make this PM tiles file? So one of the recent things I've developed is integration of PM tiles into a tool called Tippecanoe. So Tippecanoe is a program that was uh, previously developed by Mapbox and is under continued development by a company called FeltNow uh, with the same developer, Erica. As of right now, so Tippecanoe, as of one of the recent versions, can convert GeoJSON datasets into PM tiles. So it's literally a one-step process. As long as you have your data in a tabular format like Shapefile, uh, you can convert it to GeoJSON, or I guess that's a second step. But yeah, so convert it to GeoJSON first and then convert it from GeoJSON to PM tiles with Tippecanoe. Okay, so I think it would really help if you gave us an example of how we'd go about this. You mentioned this tool called Tippecanoe before. Let's say as an example, I have a shapefile with all of the, the country outlines in the world in relatively high detail, and I have all of the, the global road network, and I want to use these two layers to create a, a base map. What do I do? So if you have those two shapefiles, um, I'd probably first convert those into GeoJSON because that is the format that Tippecanoe takes. And then run those two GeoJSON files into Tippecanoe and output a PM tiles. So what Tippecanoe is really good at is doing generalization. So it will sort of figure out the right level of data to drop at each zoom level. So you can, for example, load an overview of an entire country and the tiles are not too big. Like, so those tiles are limited to like maybe at most a couple hundred kilobytes in size. Ideally, it should be as few steps as possible to go from 
raw data to a tiled archive format. This might be a, a really silly question. Can I merge two PM tiles files? You absolutely can. Uh, there's a tool called Tile Join uh, that is distributed with Tippecanoe, and it will take two PM tiles files or more than two and combine them into one. Well, wow, okay. So, so that would mean, for example, I could maintain different tiles, you know, and then like when I'm ready to move to a production environment, merge them. Yep, absolutely. That, that's really interesting. Okay, so so then what I do, I, I put that up on an, again, back to my S3 bucket. I, I, I put it there, for example. How would I consume those tiles? Is there any integrations with, I don't know, some of the mapping web clients we commonly use today? Yep, I focused on uh, two libraries. So the first one is Leaflet, which is a really popular web mapping sort of front-end library, and also MapLibre GLJS. And for those two libraries, there is sort of a plugin you have to install that I maintain. But that plugin lets you point your JavaScript at that PM tiles URL in your public S3 bucket, and you can consume that URL uh, directly through the browser. Wow, That's, that sounds really simple. And the third library I have not focused a lot yet on is Open Layers. I think Open Layers is super popular among more advanced GIS applications. So this is also a call to the audience. If you are particularly interested in open layer support for PM tiles, then you should contact me through hopefully the details that are with this podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll put links links in the in the show notes where people can reach out if, if they're interested. But also like just searching proto maps, I think will get people to, to where they're trying to go. But when you've built support for, for these clients, so you, I realize that you mentioned a couple of clients that already support the format and, and then you mentioned open laser, for example. Let's fast forward into the future here. PM tiles as a format is working, it's functioning, it's, it's well known. We have support with these different clients. What is your hope for this project? Like, where, where would you like it to go? What would you like to see happen? I think what I'd like to see is a lot more diversity in cartography on the web. Um, because if we're able to commoditize the sort of serving of any kind of geodata, tiled geodata, then that means that instead of only having Google Maps, instead of only having a couple of sort of like SaaS API providers, then we should have like a huge uh, sort of explosion of possibility in terms of what kinds of maps can be made. One of the things that inspires me the most, if you know a company called Stamen Design, I think they were on this podcast a few episodes ago, more than a decade ago, they created a set of three maps. One of them was called Toner. There's another one called Watercolor. And I think like that showed a lot of people the possibility of doing really creative web cartography with OpenStreetMap data. And I think like my um, goal for ProtoMaps is to enable those same kinds of creative projects. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Stamen Design and the watercolor project especially. That really changed the way I thought about what, what a base map could be. I remember looking at that going, wow, I mean, it could be beautiful instead of just functional. I remember talking to, I think his name was Alan McConkie when I published the, the episode with Stamen Design and him saying the problem that the watercolor was solving was not like how do I, what was the best possible map to help me navigate? That wasn't the problem. It was solving something completely different. And I thought, wow, finally, here's someone who's shown up and said like, it doesn't have to be the way it's always been. It doesn't have to be one size fits all. It, it could be like this. And I really hope you're right. I hope we see an explosion of creativity when we remove that, oh, I need all of this infrastructure to make this possible. If I can use Tippy Canoe 
and your file format, PM tiles, to create something and just put it somewhere without that sort of burden of this is going to cost a fortune, this is going to be difficult to maintain. I, I think that'll be an, a really interesting time. I think the function that maps could serve could be as a, a content platform as opposed to just like, how do I get from here to there? That they, they could be something else. And when I think about the users of maps, who uses spatial data, who needs to, to, to navigate the world, I think that we're really comfortable with the idea that they are an abstraction from the real world. So there is a billion different abstractions we could make for a billion different kinds of people that are wanting to see a specific thing, like a specific abstraction of the real world. So I'm excited about this. It'll be really interesting to see where this goes. Yes, absolutely. There's one other way I like to think about it, which is that in the world where maps are kind of scarce, like they are now, all sort of map services uh, like web maps have to be built for almost like the lowest common denominator, usually like for a commercial audience. And it's sort of one size fits all. Like for example, um, most people drive cars. So in a lot of cases, the commercial sort of priority for a map publisher is to make sure that we show the highways, we show the gas stations. But if you are making um, an application where maybe you don't care about people who drive cars as the audience, then you might be limited by the availability of maps right now. And I'm hoping that you know, being able to control more of the cartographic tool chain will make more kinds of maps with different value systems possible. What's it like doing, doing this? Are you solo on this project? Are you working by yourself or do you have a team? Do you, are you partnering with someone? What's it like doing this? I'm solo on the project. So I've been working in web mapping for about a decade now. And ProtoMaps is sort of the culmination of my experiences um, having solved very similar problems multiple times as you know a consultant or at a job. And I think for me, a lot of it really is scratching a personal itch. It's sort of like I have just this personal frustration with the tools or the inadequacy of certain software um, I've dealt with you know, over the past 10 years. So it is very personal for me. Um, it's a little bit different than if I was doing this as sort of a side project at my main job. But I think it's also very freeing. It's very liberating to do things this way, especially because the threshold for what is sustainable for me and the level to which I can publish uh, things like open source software is very different than if I was a larger commercial company or if I was a venture capital backed company. Those parameters are quite different for a solo project. And I think a lot of the success up to this point has been the fact that as an individual, I'd prefer to be quite generous in terms of the open source parts of the project. Is ProtoMaps as, as a project, is it trying to be backwards compatible with anything or are you, is this all new? It's all new right from the start. I'd say I take a measured approach. So I mentioned one of the downsides of PM tiles is that it is not backwards compatible like COG is. On the other hand, I do have a very strong emphasis on making this work as easily as possible with things like Leaflet and things like MapLibre. So I think I will try to be backwards compatible where it makes sense. But for me, the overall simplicity of the software is a higher priority than backwards compatibility. Like I'm not a developer myself, but I could imagine that could be quite freeing as a developer. Like I, I don't have to like conform to anything here. I can just make it perhaps the, the way I think it should be. 
I think it's also a bit of a curse because, you know, like there's that like XKCD comic where it's like, oh, like all the standards are bad. So I'm going to invent a new standard. <laughs> and now we have like 40 different standards. And so I think like the proliferation of like, let's say data formats is a real problem. Um, I would really hope that I'm not contributing to the pollution too much. When people push back on this, and, and my guess is somebody has said, ah, this is not going to work because of you know X, Y, and Z. What do they say? I think there is a lot of pushback. My general approach or answer is to make protomaps very modular. For example, PM tiles is sort of a self-contained thing. If you check out my GitHub, you'll see a rendering project, you'll see a database project. And I think for me, the important part is some of those components can be really successful and get adopted. And if other ones turn out to be, you know, like not really find a fit in terms of the problem they solve, then maybe I spend less on that. In terms of the pushback, I think a lot of the pushback is around the complexity or the scale of the base map problem. Like, for example, I'm working on a new base map, for example, and the detail that people want in a base map is like, let's say they want custom highway shields for every single country. And I think like, maybe I'll be able to tackle that problem in two years. But for now, I just want to focus on like a very minimal map, maybe almost like a a sort of background map for data visualization. So my strategy to the pushback is sort of like, let's like build something that is like a minimum viable product. That is like the um, just bare bones baseline of what can be used practically for like a production application. Instead of like having proto maps be like a monolithic thing that you have to adopt all at once. What signals have you gotten along the way that tell you that you're on the right track, that you're onto something here, that this is gonna work? I think where I've seen a lot of feedback that I'm really happy with is the kinds of organizations that are adopting PM tiles. I've seen a lot of really good use cases from nonprofits, uh, from journalism, and from the public sector. And I think those are a lot of audiences that are often underserved by, let's say, for example, um, a Google Maps or another map API. You know, they have vendor restrictions, maybe the price points aren't great for uh, what they want to do. But I think it's a really good signal for my goals for the project. If the markets that have been underserved by map technology are adopting protomaps. Yeah, that, that must be a really good feeling, especially as a, a solo developer on, on this project. It must be really nice to have someone show up from time to time and say, yep, you're on the right track. Well done. Thank you for making this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's usually when I see um, like a good example coming up on Twitter, like I, um, you know, try to boost it. If someone is doing something creative, you know, like they'll say, oh, you know, this was not possible before, or it was just like way too much of a sort of development lift to be able to make this thing happen with the previous tools. Well, Brendan, congratulations. I, I think what you're building is pretty amazing. It sounds incredible. I, I hope people adopt it. I hope they, I hope we see some uh, amazing maps built on, on the back of the technology that you're creating. Thank you very much for building this. Thanks, Daniel. Um, yeah, I'm always really happy to talk about this. Um, so for listeners, just feel free to contact me. Yeah, uh, where can they do that? So we mentioned ProtoMaps a, a bunch of times. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Is there anywhere else where people can go if they want to reach out to you? I try to be on Twitter and Mastodon, um, as well as on GitHub. Um, I try to keep a lot of, uh, you know, sort of 
debug feedback on GitHub issues. Uh, so I'm pretty active there as well. Great. I'll put links to some of those places in the show notes as well, just to make it a bit easier for people to find. Once again, Brendan, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Yep. Thank you, Daniel. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Brandon Liu, founder, creator of ProtoMaps. If you want to find Brandon online, I mean, there'll be links to where you can catch up with him in the show notes, but the first step should probably just be to search for ProtoMaps. That, that would be a good start. So there'll be a bunch of interesting and hopefully relevant links in the show notes today, mostly linking towards podcast episodes that are relevant to this episode here. So these episodes about distributing geospatial data, which might help you better understand some of the technologies and ideas behind sharding geospatial databases. Although this sounds really, really tricky, this episode that I'm going to point you towards in the show notes makes it pretty easy to understand. So it's worth checking out. There's also, there'll also be links to episodes that were published previously about cloud optimized uh, formats, about COGS, about how the Microsoft planetary computer is thinking about integrating these cloud optimized formats. And there's also a really interesting episode all around cloud optimized point clouds. Brandon mentioned this tool, Tippy Canoe. I'll put a link to that as well. So you can find it, hopefully try out ProtoMaps, try out PM tiles for yourself. And as Brandon mentioned during the conversation, we have actually published an episode with Stamen Design earlier in the year. And, and this is, this is well worth checking out again. Lots of links in the show notes today. Please take the time to have a look at them if you think they might be relevant and helpful for you. And uh, let me know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. You are more than welcome to reach out to me. The best way to do this is just by visiting our website, mapscaping.com, and you'll find a bunch of contact information there. So that's it for me. That's it for this week's episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. I'll be back again next week. I hope that you'll take the time to join me then.